Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Motown Philly podcast. I am Tim Golden here with my co-host. What up, though? It's Jason Hall. Jason, Jason is the Motown of Motown Philly and yours truly, Tim, is the Philly of Motown Philly. And welcome to our podcast where we celebrate and strive for communication, connection and community. Episode 22, Jason, going back to August of 2022. Here we are in January of 2023. The beautiful thing about our podcast is that you can tell how long we've been doing it by the number of our episodes. We have not missed a week. That means we've been faithfully recording and uploading so that you, our amazing, stupendous, wonderful listeners, can get the content that we know you all deserve and we just appreciate all of you so much for that just want to say we also thank you for the wonderful interactions we've been getting in the motown philly podcast facebook group jay i have been just Mm -hmm. delighted to see so many people come in and share their thoughts and we've had a chance to come in and and interact with folks and it's just a it's just a real blessing and we just thank you because we would be nothing without each of you listening and we don't take it for granted that it's a privilege to be part of your lives and that you have us in your homes as you're listening going about your daily activities we just want to say thank you thank you and a thousand times thank you jay i know you want to say thank you too yes i want to say thank you to all of our um, old listeners or our day ones, if you will. And I also want to say thank you for all of the new people that are listening for the first time, the first several episodes that we've did way back in the day. And even our latest ones as Tim goes places, whether he goes to speak in different states and cities, he's always uh, plugging our podcast and how we, what we do here and how we create community and connection through communication and so new people are popping on and they listen and so we welcome 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 all of our new listeners Uh, of course our old old listeners y'all are our backbone and we want our new listeners to feel welcome new listeners like tim said yo we have a facebook group called motown philly face motown philly facebook group please hop in there start a conversation let us know who you are where you're from city and state all those things are important because Tim and I, we definitely, when you when you guys make comments, we respond. Whether you tag us or not, we looking to see what's happening. Start conversations amongst yourself. Comment on what you've heard. Some people this week have definitely chimed in and said, "Hey, I love the I love the episode on religion and communication." And that, if you, those of you who haven't listened to that, that was just a, a, a really. Um, good episode in my opinion not because it was about me it was uh tim asking me questions that you know helped me to kind of be a little bit vulnerable and let you guys know my journey with religion communication and and kind of where 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 i've been and, and where i am today so uh really excited really excited about who's coming into the room who's listening and how y'all are hanging out with us we we do not take it for granted no we do not thank you again so much y'all we want to encourage you to as jason said come into the motown philly podcast facebook group tag me and jason if you want that personal interaction we've had some folks come in this week and make some great posts there's some really good stuff there. there's a good ted talk there on on trauma and we're just excited about where motown philly is 
we're excited about where we've been and most of all we're excited about where we're going and the mm -hmm. one constant in our past our present and our future is all of you who are listening because without you we can't have a podcast so Definitely. thank you and so much for all that you've done and continue to do for us you know jason early some heavy duty communication in greensboro north carolina at the international civil rights museum i did a couple of workshops on uh, one that was done on on allegory and the allegory and storytelling and another one was done on composite characters create how to create a composite character and storytelling and so I smell an episode on art and communication and literature and communication. So we'll get to that in the near future. But today, Jason and I come to you with a topic that we think is a timely one and one that's related to something we did last year, but with a little bit of a different twist. Mm -hmm. Today's topic is origins and communication origins and when we talk about origins jason we're interested in how where we are from our place of origin affects what we hear and overall how we communicate and in order to do that jason and i have decided to take as our point of departure a very compelling and recent and I should say not recent a current television show on Netflix a miniseries and the miniseries is a, is a docu-series so it's based on something that actually happened it's not a movie it's a it's a documentary in three parts and it's called don't pick up the phone and just to set this up just to set this up what i want to do is talk a little bit about the story and i want to encourage all of you to go watch it and check it out and we're going to go from the story to our topic and what i think is some interesting ways and jason and i are looking forward to this conversation so all right, Jason, uh, what happens in Don't Pick Up the Phone? Well, it begins in a small town in rural Kentucky, and it's a sort of average, ordinary day at a McDonald's fast food restaurant. And the manager or the assistant manager of the McDonald's gets a phone call. And on the other end of the phone, <clears throat> excuse me on the other end of the phone there is a man who identifies himself as a member of that small town's police department and he claims that there's been a report that one of the employees of the mcdonald's has been caught or is suspected of stealing a purse from one of the customers and some money so the person on the, the caller gives a description of a young girl who's about the age of 16 and he's describing this person to the manager and the manager 
says to him, you know, that sounds like a girl, a young girl that we have that works here. And so she puts him on hold, goes out, gets the young girl and brings her into the office. And then the voice on the other end of the phone, the caller starts to go down a road of increasingly invasive touching all the way down to the removal of her clothing to the point where she is naked the caller on the other end of the phone is demanding a description of her genitalia is demanding that she be kept under guard and the manager of the store or the assistant manager who's on the phone, a woman named Donna Summers, is is the caller asks her, what is there a man who could come in and keep an eye on her while you go and tend to the store? So she says, well, there's no other man working here right now. Then she says, well, my fiance could come do it. And so she calls her fiance and her fiance comes in and sort of takes over and this caller on the other end of the phone is now making demands for the fiance to put her across his knee and spank her and the ultimate demand is for him to get her to perform oral sex on him which she does as you <laughs> I'm not laughing at the situation. It's just a laugh of disgust. As you as you hearing this, right? You're probably thinking to yourself, wait a minute. You mean nobody in this situation thought something is wrong here? You mean nobody in this situation said, in what world does a police officer ask me to commit a crime? and tell me that unless I commit a crime, I'm going to be in trouble. So here's here's where we're going. By the way, there's a lot more to this story. This was one of approximately 73 incidents that took place nationwide over a period of 10 years, 10 or 11 years from 1994 until about 2004. And there was a person arrested for it and he went to trial in 2006 and he was acquitted of all the charges because it was, they couldn't prove that he was the one who made the calls. Although there was substantial circumstantial evidence, the jury under the law found him not guilty. So that aside, here's the question, Jason, can you imagine this happening in Detroit. No, 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 no. Why not, Jason? It's so many layers to this story. I think one of the things that Tim and I are going to attempt to try to pick, paint the picture of is that your point of origin, where you're from, um, helps to determine how you 
receive communication. Uh, Tim and I both have said before on our podcast, communication, I know I say it in my in my um with my clients and as i teach in my programs like communication is not just what you say outwardly it's also about what what is what is, what is the person receiving like there has to be a a give and take exchange to for communication to be effective at least on some level so to answer your question detroit is a predominantly um predominantly African-American uh, city. Dem- demographics over the years have changed, um, probably making it a little bit more diverse, but all in all, it's an urban city, if you will. And the, the, you asked that question to me about my city. I'm in Memphis currently now, but of course I rep Detroit. Like it just, co- like, I don't, I don't see how that scenario actually happens because of because of there's a lack of there's a lack of trust. Let's just be honest when it comes to police and law enforcement that we question them why they why they're asking us to put our hands on our head or to to. Uh, get out of the car or to do something that seems remotely uh, excessive or somehow unreasonable or or maybe reasonable within within the law and there is going to be there can be some immediate some immediate uh pushback when it comes to law enforcement uh asking someone in the community of Detroit to do something. I can, let me paint this picture, this scenario. And this is, this is why I say no emphatically. Me growing up in Detroit, I lived in the suburb area, suburbial area of Detroit called Westland. Um, So yeah, I'm not, for those of you who are listening, I'm not actually from Detroit. I'm from the Metro Detroit area. That's what those who are listening from Detroit will Boy, let me tell you something. You from Detroit. I mean, tell it like it is, right? Appreciate you. And to be familiar with that area, there's there's a lot of, there was a lot of um, like errand policing to the least, right? Outside the city of Detroit, our suburb, our typical suburbial white, white um, neighborhoods, subdivisions, uh, cities, if you will, that were conveniently pocketed where this is where, you know, this is where black people live and this is where, where white people live totally. So don't be a black guy driving through one of those cities. I'm talking about in the 90s um, and driving through those cities and having some type of harassment of some sort just because you're driving, driving while black. And I remember coming home. So this is past the, coming home in the late nineties from, from college and knowing my history in that, in that, in that city or sub, surrounding city being stopped and harassed just for whatever reason. I remember coming home in a very late, it's a very late evening going into the, um, the next morning traveling from Huntsville, Alabama from school and 
I remember being being I remember being followed by a policeman and I did I was doing everything right. You got to do everything right when it's late at night and you're the only vehicle on the road. You're already suspect. You're already sus, as they say. And I remember just doing everything I believe to be right. And I knew to be right by the law when it came to driving. Didn't stop this police car from getting behind your boy. But let me tell you this. I was driving a late model 80s edition Chevrolet Caprice Classic. It could be stereotyped as a as a type of car that maybe drug dealers could or would drive in or an older older uh, mid, middle to late age African-American person. So, but I was driving it, whatever. My dad got me that, that whip and I was in it. Bro, I was probably three minutes away from my house. Cop jumped behind me and I got to my neighborhood. He turned on the lights and I think I ran a couple of stop signs just out of a mere reaction to to get to my house for safety like this. There was something in me that was upset and angry and said, I'm going to make it home before you think you can do something to me. I don't know where it came from. I do know where it came from. But in hindsight, it just popped up as a reaction to be like, I'm making it to my house. I don't know or whatever. So I, I ended up going through a couple of stop signs, drove up in my driveway all the way to the back and they were right behind me with the lights on, the, the blinding with the blue and white lights on, red lights, and with the blinding flat, with the blinding regular headbeam lights. I got to my driveway and I had the audacity to get out of my car. I was like, what? <laughs> Yes, bro. Crazy. Like what? Like what? Like what? That's that was my disposition, bro. Any other cop, any other time, like it that was that was probably, you know what I'm saying? But my hands were showing. That might be why I didn't get a cap in me. But the point was, I was very what's the word i was my mood and disposition towards the cop was was very it was it was a very contentious like what do y'all want what do you like what leave me alone what and they didn't give me a ticket this is my house this is here's my license whatever get off my property type attitude so answer your question uh we we wouldn't have we we i don't think that would have happened so just as just as a point of clarification before how did that encounter end you gave them your id and they just let you go they that was i mean i kind of blacked out after that but yeah i don't know i can't even tell you my parents came outside or not i just know that they left me alone yeah i gave my i had to give my id for them to leave me alone i was like this is my house why are you following follow you know trace the plate i live here get away you were were a college student around the age of what 19 definitely 1920 coming home uh, 19ish probably 19 okay. coming home from coming home from uh, Alabama uh, getting into my own city all the way you know just I made it through several cities cities and state cities and states and no harassment I get to my own neighborhood to barely make it to my driveway without being I was oh, I was so I was through through with the police uh, authorities. So your so let's let's juxtapose. Now you you answered the question a little differently, right? 
I asked you, well, you, I think you answered it. You answered it. You just gave an example. So the question was, do you see this happening in Detroit? And the answer based on what, well, obviously you said no, but beyond saying no, you gave an example that I think gives us insight into what our conversation is going to be about tonight. Because to listen to you describe your encounter with lights and sirens behind you and to juxtapose that to the unquestioned compliance that comes from people in a McDonald's with someone who just over the phone, you can't see a uniform over the phone. You can't see a gun over the phone. You can't see a badge over the phone. In one instance, in rural Kentucky, a small town where there's not a lot of crime and where people are raised in church cultures and military cultures and are told to respect authority and who are white. Think about the difference in the mentality between the people in the documentary and you, Jason, the difference in the mentality affects the way they communicate it. Mm -hmm. And the difference in mentality is the result of origins. Mm -hmm. These folks in the in the docu series are from cultures in which it is inconceivable that the police would ever do anything wrong. They are from cultures where they are told that you have to respect authority. You have to do what you're told. You don't ask any questions about what you're told. And you come from a culture, Jason, if I may be so presumptuous, where you do what you're told, where you respect authority, and the police still shoot you. And so... Only by it, God's grace, your boy. <laughs> your boy still right. here. That's right. And so it, on one hand, it seems that what the people in rural Kentucky heard was a direct result of their social and cultural and political experiences that had the police department over invested with credibility. They couldn't conceive even to the point where the person on the phone who's identifying himself as a police officer. Now we know a person wasn't really a police officer, but the people who were hearing him don't know that, right? The fact of the matter is it's it was almost impossible for people from that small town to hear anything but legitimate authority because their experience is such that they can't hold the idea that one could be a police officer and one could ask you to do the wrong thing at the same time. They couldn't hold those two ideas at the same time. I suspect, Jason, you could hold those two ideas at the same time. And so can I, because mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you right now, this happened in Philly 
somebody on the phone getting called out for a fair one. Mm-hmm. Right? Let this go down. Let this go down in North Philly. Right. Somebody on the phone like, what? Well, check this out. You better get your bleep down here. I ain't doing nothing. She's supposed to what? I'm supposed to what? Take my clothes off. You must be out your mind. I tell you what, you come down here with your gun and your badge and you tell me to do that. Right, right. Um, and they would hang the phone up on them and there would be a flurry of cusses. Right. Right. That would be the end of it. And it's just just amazing how where we are from affects what we hear. I just think that's 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 an incredible power of culture on interpretation and and communication. Right. I think it's it's it should be pointed out that, as Tim said, this thing happened almost 100 times in different cities across our country. And almost all of them were small towns. Yes, almost all of them were small towns and they were similar in nature as far as the populace, as far as the uh, amount of people. Uh, that lived in this particular area, the style, whether it was a red state or blue state or city. And, you know, it was like this person, he profiled a type of city that had a type of people so he can have maximum, uh, maximum success in carrying out what he carried out. Like he almost always made sure I don't think there was an urban city that was on that particular map because right. he did have some successes and he also had some failures, but right. it was, it was yeah. clear that he didn't, that he looked for a certain city having a certain type of demographic. Um, it was rural. It was white for the most part. It was small, you know, and, and it had a certain political persuasion and this is the th- these are the cities almost 100 that you know that he was successful in performing and people were just compliant just compliant i only heard i only heard one top 10 us city mentioned in that documentary and if i recall correctly it was phoenix yeah all right and there was a mention of that but other than that as jason pointed out most of these places were very very sparsely populated and they were in places like they were in places like Kentucky, Idaho, Oklahoma, right? Small mm-hmm. towns, military towns, conservative towns, white towns, places where the police are likely to be revered, places where you don't dare ask a police officer a question. You don't you don't do what what a black person in North Philly would do. Which is say you bleepity bleep, you must be out your bleeping mind and hang up and would have gone right back to the fries. Right, right. And, we, and would not have thought twice about it and would have said to the other people, yo, it's somebody up here on that BS. <laughs> and they call and they call again, give me the phone, because I'm a cussle. Right, right. Yeah. And the person and you know, when and a couple times, if I'm not mistaken, Jason, in the documentary, when the people would hang up on him, 
he just never called back because that was just one that that was just one battle that he lost. Mm-hmm. But he was in it for the long haul, so he was like, "I lost the battle, but I'm about to win the war." Right. So he right. just go call somebody else, which which says something, Jason. You know, there's a novel by a German author named Franz Kafka, and the novel is called The Trial. And it's a story about this man who gets arrested and no one will tell him why. Basically, it's a man who gets arrested and he faces a situation just as absurd as the situation in the docu-series Don't Pick Up the Phone. Like, he's told that he's not going to be told what the charge is against him, that uh, you know, people in his situation have been charged for before and the trial has gone on for years. And the mistake that he makes is he goes out and he hires a lawyer and he tries to handle everything rationally. And that's the mistake that the people are making in the docu-series. They're following something rationally in a way that does not make any sense and that says to me that reason has its limitations. There are times in life when we will be confronted with absurd situations and we have to treat them for what they are instead of trying to make sense of them. And that in, in the trial, that was the main character's basic problem. His name was Joseph K. And poor Joseph K spent a year trying to figure out what was going to happen and he ended up destroying himself he ended up he ended up destroying himself and his life because he took something that was completely absurd and tried to make sense out of it where what he should have done is what old girl gonna do in philly and in detroit which is just hang up the phone mm-hmm just hang up the phone. You'd be surprised at the amount of nonsense that will get out of your way when you ignore it. But when you try to make sense out of nonsense, it becomes destructive. And I think, and I'm not, I don't want to say that I'm, bl I'm not blaming the victims, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because there were victims, by the way, the woman who called, summoned her fiance to come in and keep watch over this girl. And the man who had made the girl perform oral sex on him, they both ended up getting convicted. The man ended up getting convicted and going to state prison for five years. Right. By the way, this guy was a church was was a, he was a church elder or deacon who was seen as Mr. Goody Two Shoes, and in in all count case in point uh, cases in points like he could have been or would have been like he he didn't both of them had no record or any run-ins with the, in the law with the law in this small town and this dude now I'm, it's, I'm laughing but it's like it's not funny it's like he just literally listened to authority down to a t even though it was absurd even though and the same authority he thought he was listening to is is that was joking is an authority in real life that has him branded a sexually violent predator. So for the rest of his life, mm -hmm. even though he's out of prison, he has to report to the local authorities, no matter where he lives, that he's a sex offender. He's got to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life 
because of his blind submission to authority or a perverted sexual desire that he used his authority as a cover for if you if you <laughs> if you believe the trial judge who sentenced him that's really what it was all about because the judge says to him anybody in their right mind would have known that no police officer is going to ask you to commit a a sexual assault and you should have known better and the woman got sentenced to I think she got like a year's probation and she got a suspended sentence or had to do some community service. I'm not quite sure what it was, but it's just, it's incredible to me how the history, I mean, the implications of this on, on, for communication are just astounding because the history of policing in this country is bound up in, in this question of origins. Where you're from affects how you see the police. Where you're from affects how the police have historically either benefited you or oppressed you. Jason, you said something real profound. You said, I had my hands out. That's probably why I didn't get a cap in me. Think about that. Think about that, that you would say that and that our listeners will be able to say, yup. Many of them will be able to say, yup, that's true. So it's it's just amazing the way that our past and our location where we're from informs how we hear, how we see, and how we understand the world and how we communicate. Yeah. I mean, these people, this woman, Donna Summer, just communicated. It was like nothing. She was like, oh, another man to watch over her? Well, okay, sure, no problem. I'll call my fiance. And all of these things were videotaped because this is closed circuit television. So this man is on videotape putting this 16 year old girl over his knee and spanking her naked bottom. Yeah. I mean, this is insanity. Here's the thing. Here's what's crazy. Like, so those similar acts happened in other, this, this, this all took place in, I believe mostly McDonald's, right? Yeah. Yeah. And these things were reported to have happened before this incident that was caught on video that happened. And it's amazing like when it's 10 years before. Right, right. So it's amazing when it happens and it's reported and people are like, eh, just push it under. Oh, really? That happened? But when the video comes out, now Joker's going to act brand new. Like, it's crazy. When video communicates something, mm. when we see it in real life, I like to call it yeah. when we see it in vivo, when we see it live, yeah. it's just like word that really happened. And if you can fast forward to the different episodes that happened that have happened in entertainment and in sports, when you hear about it is one thing, but when that thing is caught on 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 wax, when it's caught on video. It's a whole nother phenomenon. Crazy. The video put it over the top. I couldn't agree with you more, Jason. The video put it over the top. And what's wild is that there's no audio. It's just video. Mm -hmm. It's just video. So when you're looking at it and you can't hear what's being said, but you've been told what's being said, it makes perfect sense because what you're seeing is 
is in is perfectly consistent with what you've been told so you can almost fill in the blanks between the the bizarre perverted actions on on the camera and what the person says was actually being said over the phone that is this is truly one of the more extraordinary criminal cases i have come across and the fact that we can say with confidence that where we are from in detroit and philly the likelihood of this happening is is probably next to zero right right next to zero i mean there's always an exception right something could i mean we're speaking inductively so it's always possible that somebody somewhere would fall for the scam but i think if there's a likelihood right it's it's probably much more unlikely that it would happen in philly or detroit than it happening in in some small town in idaho or kentucky or oklahoma so this has just been an incredible an incredible journey to me through this documentary and the reflections on thinking about this and thinking about how where we are from affects what we hear just extraordinary and there there's social implications and there's political implications again the history of policing is implicated in all of this and on the documentary jason if i'm not mistaken you said it but it was said on the documentary too that this this person this guy he decided that he was going to target places where he knew he was going to have the maximum possibility of, of success. Mm-hmm. He was going to have maximum impact. Mm-hmm. You know, he knew he wasn't going to have no impact calling some McDonald's in Detroit. He knew that there wasn't nobody going to do nothing but cuss him out and hang up on him. Yeah. So this is this is this is this has implications. It has me wondering about our political divisions today today and communication you know where we are from is going to affect what we hear if we live in kansas and get all of our news from i don't know fox news you're not going to believe when when president biden says something or when president obama says something you're not going to believe a word of it. Mm. And if you're from, I don't know, maybe you're from Detroit or you're from Philly and President uh, Bush said something or President uh, Trump said something. I don't want to use President Trump because he's he's an outlier. He's not he doesn't really fit within the mainstream of of republican party politics but you get the you get the idea if it's a if it's a conservative talking it's hard for folks in the city to understand and if it's a liberal talking it's hard for folks in rural communities to understand why because where you're from affects what you hear and thus how you communicate definitely um i think in a lot of ways especially when you talk about that one case that was first publicized due to the the video footage coming out and especially the guy the fiance who wasn't even a a manager or any true way affiliated in the job level he was just at the crib yeah 
that he was just at the crib and his his girl told him to come up to do i don't even know if she told him exactly what she wanted him to do he goes from being just a normal citizen listen this it this it, this is what it appears it appears like once he got with that authority was telling them he turned off his brain because the judge was right if you were thinking you wouldn't have even come close to doing you wouldn't have even considered it like it was almost as if it was a trance and once you came went into the trance nothing made nothing once you could do anything like maybe even take that poor lady's life but let's stop short of that and let's just do all this heinous like sexual activity like i mean when did he think now this dude wasn't 30 he wasn't 40 he wasn't even 50 the way this dude looked on camera he had to be in his 60s and i don't know if that makes it this i don't think there's no excuse to that his age but the point was when this dude was a deacon this is like is an old dude who cuts the grass at a church that's what he looked like and he, now he probably just finished cutting the picture this just finished cutting the grass at the church at home wiping his brow his girl calls him was like yo i need you to come up here and do something for me and he's like sure no problem <laughs> and then he gets there and she tells him yo go in the back i need you to help me out we got a special case there's a cop on the phone i need you to listen to exactly what he said what he's asking you to do this i mean when he he, he starts before he goes to the to the worst part of the act he's he's bending the girl that he doesn't know over his knee and smacking her on her ass <laughs> like you can't like he didn't wake up and think that he didn't wake up and said this is what's gonna happen in my life I am, I am I'm not laughing at the, the victim please don't misinterpret my chuckle there what i can't believe what it's is incredulous, so incredulous bro it, it, right it's a laugh of incredulity like it's a laugh of wow i'm laughing to keep from crying mm -hmm. because this is a guy who went from an honest day's work down at the church yes and and wanting a cold glass of lemonade to to being sucked in and transformed sucked into a vortex of absurdity and transformed into a rapist bruh you can't, you can't you, you, the word the next worst thing is murder right right i mean if i'm and i mean i tend to think that maybe he wasn't as naive because i mean you the judge the judge was like no nah, you can't be this stupid he that's what i'm saying bro he was it was in a trance so either he was in a trance. What? He was, he, he was in a trance. Authority is so can be so innocuous. It can be you could be doing blind foolishness. Social social science tells us that. Wow, and that's interesting because in the docu in the docu series, there's a, a interlude where they talk about people in an experiment. So there's this experiment done where there's three people who are part of it the person running the experiment an actor and the person who is who's being experimented upon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the person who's being experimented upon is told to ask questions to the actor 
And every time the actor gets an answer wrong, the person who is being experimented upon has to send a jolt of electricity to the actor. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, there's not really a jolt of electricity. The actor hears a noise, a buzzing, and then the actor hollers out in pain. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where this guy was transmitting the guy in the experiment who was sending the the the, the voltage, voltage to the other person was transmitting lethal. as far as he knew a, a, a near lethal dose of electric electric current to the other person and the actor is on the other end of it screaming Aah! and you can see the person being experimented upon who is starting to really struggle with this but he keeps doing it and then when they interview him and they say why do you keep doing it and he said this is what you told me to do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so maybe maybe we i don't know if we shouldn't be too hard on the fiance because oh, he's, i'm not judgmental i'm just i just right, can't right, believe right. it i mean he seemed to be caught up in this vortex of absurdity and he just goes along with the program crazy I, I don't i mean you almost if i'm the judge in that case sentencing that guy I, you have to understand the judge's predicament a woman not just any not just a woman a person has been sexually violated she's rather young she was 17 18 wasn't she she was, she was like 16 or 17. Oh, mm -hmm. And she was working at the she was working at the McDonald's to make extra money because her mom lost her job. Yep. And she was trying to help out the family. God bless her. Mm -hmm. And then this poor innocent girl goes to work one day, and the next thing you know, she's she's being spanked and performing fellatio on a total stranger. Jeez, bro. Yeah. Not only he, not only he, the man that was there was doing thing was allowing foolishness and doing foolishness she this late this poor girl who doesn't know what to go what's going on she's the other side of the coin so so jason let's wait a minute let's think about this, this for is, this is getting dark bro <laughs> This is getting dark. This was dark when we started talking about it, bro. It can't get no darker than it's been for the past 45. It's dark as you know what up in this. Right. But let's consider the the chain of uncritical blind submission to authority. The woman, the assistant manager is blindly submitting to the authority of the voice on the phone, the caller. Her fiance is submitting to the voice of the caller and the poor girl who's the victim here, she's submitting to the voice of the caller as, as pushed through the actions of the woman and of her fiance. Hmm. And, and Jason, listen, this is just one incident that we're talking about. 73 of the mugs. This happened 73 times. 73 times this happened. That's so a lot. That's a lot, man. That's a lot. There was another woman in a small town in Idaho 
And they, the caller calls in and says that, you know, somebody stole a $50 bill from a customer. And the girl was like, I'm a good church going girl. I would never do that. I have integrity. I have honesty, you know, and he has the caller has her before you know it. She's in the back room naked doing calisthenics uh -huh. and sweating. Cause the caller was like, yeah, well, when she sweats, you know, make sure you pay attention. Cause if she stole the money, there'll be some green dye trickling down her body. And I want you to tell me exactly where it is. And, you know, is she sweating now? Uh, what, tell me what her genitalia looks like. <laughs> wow. Or he, he thought that he was saying, I thought he was saying that she might've put the money in one of her crevices. Right, right, and that if she had done that, then her perspiration would show. It was crazy, bro. It would be. I mean, what? wow, wow. So, Jason, let me ask you this. Go for it. So we know that I think it's pretty clear, right? We've made the point rather well that what you hear, where you're from, affects what you hear. Right, I, and I have another scenario. Ask me that in a second about no, no, no. how go, what we hear. Go ahead, go ahead, share it. Go ahead, share. I mean, it. when it comes to authority, so that was kind of what authority is in those rural areas, and maybe that same authority wouldn't necessarily work in 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 urban in urban areas that you and I are from. But if you want to go to the space where where um urban where where people of color mostly are and think about the authority that that people of color are accustomed to listening to uh i.e the church i love somebody y'all should see tim's eyebrows i.e the church mm. and, and western christian doctrine uh-oh chick mm. uh-oh chick james teaching from the pulpit at 14 was seeing some ish boy it's getting hot up in here see we can't just go to the worldwide areas of conservatism yeah it's something about that authority bro how come when we we in church when we're in in, in african-american churches we have this thing to always affirm and saying amen, even when the pastor is talking some ish from the pulpit and mm -hmm. we co-sign it with the amens. And it's not like, it's an echo. You remember when we were in Memphis, it was this lady in the back always talking about, the pastor could be saying some, some Tom. He always said one time, he said, I met my wife. She thought I looked like a bowl of oatmeal. And she was in the back said, you got that right. <laughs> talking about show no and, show we just like, and i'm just like how you co-signing on that just because bruh so, wow jason so now you taking it full circle mm -hmm. so now so it isn't just the, the question of origins and communication it's not just i mean it is our point of departure tonight was rural whites and how they see the police versus urban blacks and how they see the police but now authority, it becomes bro. a question of authority generally yeah, and how different sites of authority bring with them different degrees of delusion mm -hmm. 
in which the blindness to that authority, the blind submission to that authority, the uncritical submission to that authority leads people down a path of destruction. Right. Right. <laughs> so now, so now, right, I'm thinking about all of the people. I'm thinking about all of the women in african-american churches mm, go there go there who for decades if not centuries mm -hmm, mm -hmm. have gone to their pastor and authority figure mm -hmm. or counsel on what to do when they are in marriages that are physically sexually or emotionally abusive and because their pastor tells them to stay, they look, they are, they are at a deficit, not unlike the deficit of the people in rural Kentucky. Nah, full circle. Come on, chick. Because they've bought into the clown show of clergy who have paraded their social and cultural authority in front of people to get people to uncritically accept whatever they say. Now, I'm not talking about all clergy. No, I'm talking about a phenomenon in the black community and particularly in African-American churches where abused women have found themselves on the receiving end of physical abuse in the marriage and spiritual abuse from the pastor spiritual abuse for those of you who who might not know what that is spiritual abuse is when your abuser or others justify your abuse through the use of biblical or other spiritual means by giving you imposing on you some bogus moral obligation to stay in the marriage you i'm waiting for somebody to explain to me where in the marriage vows it mm -hmm. tells a woman that you gotta stay in a marriage where he's beating you upside your head and don't tell me till death do us part because I got something for you on the marriage vows to all my listeners. Come get them, chick. Come get them. The marriage vows are not biblical. Nope, not one of them. They are not found in the Bible. Not created. Not there. Check for it, and it's not there. Check for it. From Genesis to Revelation, they're not there. Nope, not only. in the Bible. Not only are they not in the Bible, the marriage vows, while the spirit of them may be biblical they're not literally there not only are they not literally there guess what the marriage vows apply to things that are external to the marriage things that you can't control right threats to the marriage that come from outside of it you know like a, a loss of a job an illness a terminal illness right a protracted disability a permanent disability those things hmm. But when what destroys your marriage is coming from within it, Jeez. oh no, baby, the vows ain't got nothing to do with that. Talk about it. The vows ain't got nothing to do with it. And check this out. 
if we have not adequately addressed the problem hmm. of abused women in the church, what in the world makes you think we have even been able to conceive of the notion of an abused man? Wow. In the church. We not even close. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jason. Jason. Right. <laughs> it's amazing how the sight of authority just shifts. And what we hear is I gotta stay with my husband no matter what. We what we get from this kind of origin and communication is we get a blind adherence from the pulpit. Whenever somebody says Oh, you know, marriage this, marriage is sacred, marriage that. What we get, the message that we get is quantity over quality. You're better off staying married for longer than you are being healthy. As, as if that was better. As if, as if, right, as if longer is better. The as longevity if, says y'all good because y'all, y'all are clearly doing it. Right. Though y'all probably are living in two different spaces in the house. Don't That's tell right. nobody. Don't tell nobody that. Don't tell nobody that. I recently had somebody try to argue me down that the 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 men though there's no abuse. Yeah, I don't, I don't think men feel that way and this and that. I'm not sure men feel that way in the church. I said you wouldn't know because there's no space for men to talk about it. Mm except at a men's conference. And I've spoken at too many men's conferences to know the things that men in the church go through, but they're not going to say it to you. Nope. They're not going to say it to you because they don't really have a way to say it to you. And the reason they don't have a way to say it to you is because they haven't formed the linguistic concepts of an abused male. So they're experiencing something, but there's no shared communication. So there's no community mm -hmm. because there's nothing in common. See those right. words? Mm -hmm. Common, commune, community, mm -hmm. communication, mm -hmm. all of that. There's none of that there. But once, man, I'm grateful for the Motown Philly podcast. Yeah. Once we engage this culture, and once men have the capacity to communicate with one another and we can start to form some concepts on a broader level, now all of a sudden you got the vocabulary so that when a man is being mistreated mm -hmm. by his spouse and then goes to the pastor and is told, you got to stay in this marriage because you got to be the priest of the home and you got to do this and you got to do that because you got to be like Jesus and Jesus died to save uh, humanity and you got to be like him. So you got to die to save everybody else. Mercy. Come on now. I thought he paid it off. He Jeez. ain't that pa any pastor that tells you that is nothing but that caller on the phone. Ooh, an imposter. Somebody who claims to be godly, but really ain't godly. So you like them people in rural Kentucky? The black men in urban centers where they go to mega churches and other Christian centers and other sites of ecclesial authority, you better understand that you're in a position, as Jason just pointed out, your position is no different than the position of the people working in that Royal McDonald's. You're vulnerable to a misuse of an authority that you uncritically accept. 
And it's because of where you're from, the black church, that what you hear, a bunch of nonsense about remaining in unhealthy marriages and relationships takes precedence over how you're feeling and what your intuition tells you. Right. Oh, Jason, I smell about four or five more podcasts. Yeah, 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 yeah. This this podcast is 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 right on time because we're we're developing and we're un, un, unleashing some things in the next in the next few weeks that will definitely that this has definitely stirred some stuff up that will that we'll definitely address when it comes to you know abuse and misuse if you will of authority and how we hear it and how we communicate it and how unhealthy it's been and how it needs to change and how it needs to be exposed and how we need to get language for it and begin to communicate about it and have conversations to better navigate and to understand and to heal like it's all there it this is all coming full circle and i can tell you this tim and i didn't know we were going here with this topic but we knew this topic had depth to it and it in authority listen critical thinking in authority needs needs to be questioned in healthy ways and when you're not questioning it and not understanding having the proper understanding and checking in with your with your human self to see if things are right and healthy and safe and feelings make a difference that's an alarm system tim said uh, several podcasts ago and when the smoke when there's smoke there's fire and you and our bodies we need to listen to the changes and the sounds and the feelings that that are happening inside of us and make sure things are okay and if it keeps telling you the smoke is coming you need to start listening to that regardless of what they're saying to you or someone's telling you you need to listen to what's happening to yourself because it's talking to you i almost committed suicide because because I was stuck listening, uncritically accepting what was being spoon fed to me, or I shouldn't say spoon fed, what was being shoved down my throat from pulpit and pew. So-called friends who decided that they were going to tell me that they weren't going to tell me what I wanted to hear, but they were going to tell me the truth. I was on the verge of taking my life because I was so uncritically accepting of authority that I was willing to destroy myself rather than question what was being said to me and from from the pulpit and from the pews and I what I heard from there was something that allowed me to blindly follow someone that is an, a, a doctrine that is really a, a bogus doctrine. And it's the, the, the doctrine of, of staying together just for the sake of staying together so that you can stay married is nonsense. I want, some, I want to challenge somebody out there to please tell me where in the wedding vows it contemplates a woman saying, I have to stay with this man regardless, even though he's beating me upside my head. Huh. I, I'm trying to figure out where that is biblical. And it, listen, here's the other thing, Jason, you and I have talked about this before. If it's wrong to impose that on a woman who is suffering physical abuse, how much more is it also wrong 
to impose that on a man who suffers from emotional abuse in an intimate partner relationship, marriage or boyfriend or girlfriend or otherwise, especially when a man's injuries don't manifest themselves physically. A woman has black eyes, broken bones and missing teeth. A man has a broken spirit, a loss of ambition and depression. Right, right. And what do we do as a society? We write them up. We we write him off as trifling, mm-hmm. lazy, lazy, apathetic, and then, apathetic. And then we tell men to share how they feel. And when they share how they feel, they get shamed. So so which is it culture? Which is it church? Which is it society? What does a man do? Oh, man, I'm ready, baby. I feel like I could go another hour on this topic right here, but I know we can't because time is short. You know what that means, though, Jay? What's that mean? That What's that mean? mean? That just means our dope listeners got to keep being dope and tune in to episode 23 next week. 23. Jay, where can they find you, man? You guys can find me on Instagram at the speakers mechanic. You can find me on where else? Twitter, uh, Jason Hall Speaks. You can find me on Facebook, Jason Hall Communication Skills Coach. Same thing with LinkedIn, Jason Hall Communication Skills Coach. I help you as a black man with communication, effective communication in spaces that are not necessarily native to who and where you've come from. That you, as a professional, be able to speak with confidence and authority, and most of all, be bold in your authentic self. Chick, Tim Golden, where can we find you? You can find me on the gram. Doing it for the gram. Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at a good golden man. You can find me on Twitter at DRTJ Golden ESQ. And last but certainly not least, you can find me on Facebook at Tim Golden. Three things in life are certain death taxes, and I'm the only black man named Tim Golden in Walla Walla, Washington. The city, so nice. Had to say it twice. twice. Walla Walla. Motown Philly fam, listen, until next time, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your friends' friends, tell your Mm -hmm. grandmama, auntie, and them, tell Uncle Earl, tell tell aunt lucy go ahead tell the whole squad about motown philly and when you share on social media share the hashtag motown philly come into our facebook group yes join us there then we're just getting started but i gotta tell you i'm excited about the kind of community we can build there so we have close to 70 74 or 75 members now jay let's try to get that up to 100 yep. try to get it up over 100 and come mm-hmm. on, y'all. Just y'all can find us there. It's a public group. We're not hiding nothing from nobody. We just want to hear from our listeners. We want to have community. We want to have connection. And, and we want to communicate with y'all. That's what we're about here in Motown Philly. And to my to all our listeners, I love y'all. And to Jason Hall, I love you, my brother. Love I you. love you. Love you too, Chase. Yeah, this topic is hot. Listen, y'all get into the Facebook, Motown Philly Facebook group, and let's chat about this thing right here. Yes, yes. 
And it's, it's getting it's only getting bigger from here on out, y'all. Only getting bigger. We're having our first guest coming up in a couple weeks. More about that in the, in the very near future. And, Jay, I just can't wait to see. Now, here we are halfway through the first month of the year. We just moving right on. And so get ready because there's more to come. Motown Philly fam, love y'all. And until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. And together, who knows, maybe we can achieve our common humanity. We out. <laughs>